I suppose the reason I structured my business the way I did was because of that um, belief of you, you really need to understand the area. Um, data is great and, and you need to review the data as well and understand what the growth drivers are. But having that intimate knowledge and actually having boots on the ground unlocks a lot of opportunities as well and um, gets access to property that you wouldn't otherwise get access to if you're a national buyer. Welcome to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, the leading weekly show to help you unlock your full self, health and wealth potential. I'm your host, Bushy Martin, and each week I go deep with the best investors, experts, leaders and founders to find out what it takes to break free from the grind discover freedom, and live by design. Subscribe now and join me and get invested in the life you really want. Let's get started. Hi, Freedom Fighters. How important is intimate local knowledge when it comes to you buying a property? And how do you balance this with a need to go borderless rather than your backyard in order to secure the best available property with the highest potential growth to satisfy your investment needs? Now, this is a conundrum that I see many investors trying to come to grips with when it comes to securing a high-performing property portfolio. And this paradox has flowed into the world of buyer's agents. And in my experience of working with a broad range of buyer's agents over the last few years, I now see that most of them operate on a spectrum that spans somewhere between total local area experts with intimate awareness at one end, while at the other end, I've seen uh, the growth of a lot of buyer's agents with high media profiles who brag about their national footprint and the ability to secure any property anywhere on the strength of their data-driven and desktop analysis. But there's a real danger here because an area and a property can look great on your computer and it can be backed by kilos of AI-driven data points that can be used to post-justify just about anything. But it's not until you've actually walked the streets and you've mixed it with the locals before you can get a true appreciation of the local sentiment and perception of an area, which can actually vary from one street to the next. And on top of supply and demand, local sentiment can have a massive impact on the performance of a specific property and a specific location. And in this respect, nothing beats boots on the ground and intimate local knowledge. So I believe that the best buyers agents land in the middle of this uh, spectrum uh, between the sort of local versus national and the quantitative versus the qualitative data spectrum, where they enjoy a balance of local intimacy with data-backed leading indicators, which is where today's continuing guest, Michael Olivieri, comes to your rescue, and we're going to deep dive on this very contentious topic. As you enjoyed last week, Michael's the founder and director of successful Central Coast Buyers Agents who operate as local area specialists north of Sydney in New South Wales. So welcome back and let's get invested again, Michael. Thanks, Bushy. Let's do it. Michael, uh, we had a great chat uh, in the last episode on, on your own uh, very successful uh, investment journey, and we sort of touched on your role as a, as a buyer's agent and helping others to do the same now. But uh, to sort of set the scene on all of this, uh, what do you see as the biggest mistakes that property investors make when it comes to researching, selecting, due diligence, negotiation, purchase, and settlement of a property and beyond? Yeah, I think the the mistake, um, one of the mistakes is is not doing enough research and then doing too much research. I, I think, obviously, not doing enough research, you, you're, you're going to fall short, you're going to select the, either the wrong property or the wrong area, 
um, and it's not going to perform the way you intend it to and you're overall going to have a bad experience and um, you're going to end up cursing property. Yep. If you do too much research uh, and you and you suffer from analysis paralysis, then that's not a good thing either. So you might know a lot, but unless you actually jump in and get your hands dirty, then you're also not going to get the results you want. So um, I think it's just it's doing that right amount of research that you, you feel confident um, you're seeking the advice from the the right people um, in your team, building a team around you to to give you the advice where you need it, and then actually acting on the advice in giving you. Yeah, very good thoughts. Uh, we, we mentioned in the last episode your own experience about uh, initially approaching a buyer's agent uh, who wasn't prepared to uh, educate you on the journey, uh, so you probably tilted back towards DIY. Uh, given where you're at and what you're doing now, why do you think property buyers should engage a buyer's agent over finding and, and buying a property themselves? I think because, um, like I said, building that team around you, um, having someone that's an expert that's been there, done that, is especially comforting for people that haven't purchased property before, whether it be their, their first home or first investment property um in, engaging with someone that that has done it um has has proven track record but and understands the process gives you a lot of uh comfort when moving through purchasing that property i still think anybody's going to have you know buyer's remorse and, and feel a bit unsure when they sign that dotted line but uh definitely having people around you to say no you know what you've done the you've done the right thing back yourself this is the right, you know, the right property for your strategy. Uh, it's a lot easier to to do it. Yeah. So, so when you, um, I hear a lot of investors who initially go, well, what, why would I spend fifteen or twenty grand uh, to get someone to find a, a property that if I spend enough time, I can find myself? What, what's what's your normal response to uh, uh, that approach? Um, yeah. Look, the, certainly you can buy property yourself. Uh, you can do your own tax return too. And diagnose yourself with Google if you have a medical issue as well. But um, <laughs> look, there's 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 experts in fields um, in, in all of those fields for a reason. And, and um, if you really want to understand the, the nitty gritty, the, the little tips and tricks, the um, the years of experience that only through doing it um, and, and living in it and working it, um, you, you just might get and so that's something that i had to build as well over my journey um uh like i think we might have discussed it off air like i didn't know um as much as i did at the start as obviously i do now um i had to learn that i had to learn that the hard way and um and put that effort into building that experience so if you can pay someone and get that experience why not yeah, 100%. It's an investment in your own future and, and the growth of your knowledge as well as the property, I believe. If, if you're working with a, a buyer's agent like yourself who's actually trying to educate uh, your client investors to in, improve their position down the track. Uh, in, the, in the opening, I talked about the sort of uh, the national one-stop shop uh, players versus the, the local experts. What's uh, Given your, you've got really... Uh, intimate local area expertise on the uh, the central coast in New South Wales. What's your feeling about uh, the the sort of national uh, property buyers agents? Yeah, I, I suppose the reason I structured my business the way I did was because of that um, 
belief of you, you really need to understand the area. Um, data is great and, and you need to review the data as well and understand what the growth drivers are. But having that intimate knowledge and actually having boots on the ground unlocks a lot of opportunities as well and um, gets access to property that you wouldn't otherwise get access to if you're a national buyer. You just don't have enough time in the day to build relationships with people all over the country to for them to be calling you and sending deals your way. Um, I, I, I don't know how these um, people that buy all over the country do it, but for me, um, it was very much about I know I know the Central Coast and I very well. I've grown up here and lived here my my pretty much my whole life. So. Um, and I've really focused heavily on building relationships with people on the coast um, in, in all parts of the, the property purchasing and owning journey so that I've benefited from it from through my own portfolio and now my clients are in, in their property acquisition and ownership. Yeah, no, very well said. Uh, talking about uh, buyer's agents generally then again, what do you believe differentiates a great buyer's agent from the rest? Um, I think definitely one that's that's been there, done that, and and one that um, I, I think it's not just buyers agents; it's any business, customer service. If you deliver a, an awesome customer service and actually care about the the, the customer, um, that that really is a, a big differentiator in any business. Yeah. Um, but it's why in what I do, I, I try to educate people. Um, obviously, the Central Coast isn't uh, an area that suits everyone for investment um so like i believe it's a, it is a great place to invest but it's not something that suits everybody and everybody's budget and everybody's strategy so it needs to be the 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 right person uh that to to purchase a property on the central coast as an investment um and so that's and and i i really believe in the education piece teaching them how to buy if, if they want to learn um oh teach them and talk to them as much as and give them as much of my knowledge as I can. Because if they need, then want to buy a property elsewhere, I don't purchase properties elsewhere. So they can either engage in buyer's agent elsewhere or, or they can have a go at doing it themselves. Yeah, extremely well said. So the, if there are those listening in that are that thinking about this, uh, uh, what would your advice be to them in terms of the, the keys to selecting a great buyer's agent? Um, so, so ask ask the questions, you know, about their track record, what they've done, what their what their education and background is. Um, understand um, sort of why why they became a buyer's agent. For me, you know, there are, are a few. Um, like in any industry, when there's, there's I suppose money to be made, people are always uh, they can become quite transactional and just chase the dollar. But um, for me, it's it's more more than that. I do it because I enjoy it, and I enjoy seeing other people get success from property. Um, I suppose that's uh, some of the questions I would ask a, a yeah. agent and, and understanding where their focus is in terms of their area, the type of clients they work with, um, the the type of properties they purchase regularly. Uh, that they're they're important questions to ask. Yeah, totally, because yeah, it very much is horses for courses. Uh, you've touched on some of this already, but in terms of Central Coast buyers agents, uh, what do you believe 
sets you apart from from the rest? Um, yeah, well, like I've, like I've touched on, I've got a very uh, like personalised um, and um, approach, and so for me, it's it's more really getting to understand and know the client. I really take great pride in that. Um, build very close relationships with my clients throughout the journey, um, and and I, I look to continue that uh, even after purchase. So um, that's something that I've always put a heavy focus on. Yeah. Um, in structuring the business. Yeah, and no, I love that. Uh, uh, looking more generically then, uh, Michael, what are your top tips on how to choose a location to buy a house? Um, so, th- th- you know, there's many <clears throat> sort of free resources you can access and paid resources as well in terms of uh, data, understanding what growth drivers are, um, you know, where infrastructure and amenities are going or where they exist. Um, you know, looking at all the different metrics that that um, property investors look at. Um, so, really understanding the area, knowing what people want in that area as well. So, for example, it's easy for me to talk about the Central Coast because that's the the place I know. So, it, it is very much um, the, the the culture here and the, and the the idea that there's not a great deal of units. Um, and, and sort of strata title properties and those types of things. There's a few pockets where there's a, a higher concentration, but majority of people do like to have a backyard and have space and things like that. So it's understanding what what the the occupants want. Really, if you're buying a property for an investment, then you need to understand what the tenants want. Um, if you if you're buying a property for um, as a home, when I'm representing clients that are owner occupies. That's very personal. That's up to them, um, and it really is dependent on their individual needs and circumstances and, and what they want out of the property. So they need to look at things such as lifestyle and amenities and schools and whatever suits their lifestyle and their needs. If they're in retirement stage, they might want to be closer to to um, the you know the ocean or to to life um, lifestyle uh, attractions. So yeah. really, yeah, yeah. It depends on yeah, it's a horses for courses approach. Yeah, no, that's good. Uh, a couple of times in the conversation already, you've touched on growth drivers. Uh, everyone seems to have a different definition of what are growth drivers. Uh, in the context of what you're doing, you know, what would you consider to be the key growth drivers that investors need to focus on? Um, definitely supply. Uh, supply is one of the big, big things. So um, the Central Coast is quite... Um, landlocked, similar to Sydney. There, there's um, look, there's plenty of land on the Central Coast, but not all of it is accessible for um, for, for development or, or you know new housing or new commercial even um, because a lot of it's either green like green corridors or um, flood areas or f- bushfire zones. So um, the, it's the uh, you know simple economics of supply versus demand when you've got a very limited supply and you've got strong demand that's one of the, the key things that are going to drive growth both in the the purchasing market and the the rental market as well yeah. um and so that that demand uh versus supplies is a key driver to, to look out for but also just um what what suburbs where where the money's been spent what infrastructure's been put into the areas to improve that uh, yeah, whether it be transport and accessibility, whether it be improved medical or increased schools, 
And if there's more schools going into an area, that's because there's more families going into that area, and uh, that just shows the level of demand. Yeah, spot on. No, really good thoughts there. Now, uh, there's a lot of smoke and mirrors around the the whole topic of uh, exclusive off market properties in the, particularly in the buyer's agents arena. Uh, what are your thoughts on the merits or otherwise of off market properties? Yeah, so off market properties are broken up into pre market, so but yeah. before they actually come live on the market. So it's not that they would ever. Uh, be off market forever, but they're getting access to them before they hit the market. Then there's sort of off market being, or sort of post market. So they've they've been on the market, but they've come off. They're still for sale, but they just don't, you know, publicly advertise it. Yeah. Um, and then there's the genuine off market where they're probably direct to vendor or something like that, where they're not actually with an agent. You just have access to a property um, directly to the vendor. So. Look, my, my thoughts on it, I know buyers agents love to talk about it and it's this, you know, very sort of elusive thing, but um, it's not always the cheapest, it's not necessarily a cheaper way of buying property, yeah. but it definitely is um, very critical to, it's not something you want to ignore because in a market where there's very low supply and there's high demand, if you can get access to a property that 90% of the other of the market or the other buyers don't have access to, you can buy it without the competition. Um, you can get into something sooner, and and we have already discussed the importance of of time in uh, purchasing property and, and the the value of compound. So, if if you're missing out on on property continually, and two months, three months, four months goes past in a hot market, that can be hundreds of thousands of dollars. True, that's a very good point. Well, the, the the big question is always around this this subject: How do buyers know they're actually getting a good property at a good price when it's off market and it hasn't been market tested? Well, even a property that's on market, how market tested has it really been until it's sold? Um, so, so yes, you're not really going up against other people, but I think I I bring it back down to that's when I start going back into the data around. Um, doing evaluation, doing a market analysis on the property and understanding, well, what have similar properties sold for the way a value or would value a property, use those methods and, and understand the value. You don't need the other buyers around you to be telling you what they think it's worth. At the end of the day, the market is what somebody's prepared to pay for it. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. I, I mean, and sort of circling around this off-market area, I know there are, uh, sadly, uh, quite a number of buyers agents who uh, really focus on lazy uh, sales agents who just want to move a, a property quickly and and because a, a lower price is not going to affect their commission much, uh, uh, there, there's certainly a, a number of those. Uh, what I'm hearing from you is something different around identifying properties that don't involve a seller's agent at all. Uh, how do you go about actually hearing about and then – and potentially buying those uh, truly off-market properties where an agent's not involved? Um, I do a lot of networking. So I, I'm, you know, involved in a lot of community and business uh, business community um, networking events. And and so when I'm out and about talking to people, they know what I do. Um, they, you know, I'm passionate about property, so I'm always talking about it. So they'll quite often um, say, look, I've got, uh, you know, my dad's selling his pro, or my 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 dad passed away, so we're selling his property. Or oh, my my brother's looking to sell his property. Do you have any clients? And look, I, I might not always have 
a client that matches up with that particular property. But um, you know, it's it's getting access to those properties, and then if all of a sudden I'm talking to somebody and I go, oh, you know what? There's actually this property that is, you know, nearly going to come to the market. I, I, we can get access to it. So it's just being, again, it's that boots on the ground. You can't do that from sitting behind a computer. You need no. to be out and about talking to people. Yeah, and the, those relationships you're talking about being active in the the local community, yeah, th- those things are going to pop up. So I know that's a that's a great share. Um, now, one of the 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 make or break exercises in the whole property piece is that that final negotiation uh, of the deal. And and given what you've shared uh, with with your Italian background and and uh, clearly trying to squeeze uh, the most juice out of the lemon, what what are your insider tips on negotiating a a good property purchase? Yeah, the, f- the first thing is to do a, a market analysis. Understand what it's worth. Um, and again, the more you know the market that you're buying in, the easier that is. Um, but if you can look at recent sales, understand yep, that property to me is worth X dollars. Um, when you're negotiating, you, you don't go above that. Uh, or you can, and I call that the emotional premium, but you've got to be sort of willing to draw a line somewhere Um that's that's when you know when you if you don't want to pay over market value but um yeah you, you definitely don't want to be just paying I, I see it a lot actually because of the market that I operate in people sell um you know they might sell for for two million dollars in Sydney and and come up here and um and purchase a, a property and relocate and they might buy, pay pay 1.2 1.3 and they think that's great I've just pocketed seven hundred thousand and I've got probably a better home than what they had but they probably didn't even need to pay 1.2 or 1.3 they probably could have picked it up for 1.1 so in that case that's where i, I say you know you, you need to understand the market and do a evaluation but um yeah it's knowing yeah knowing what it's worth and then when you negotiate um you've got to understand what the other side wants as well so it's not always about price um you know a lot of the time it is and, every, and people just think oh cheapest price or you know for the buyer most expensive price for the seller but sometimes it might be a longer settlement or a um you know something else in in the deal i had a um a client that was purchasing an acreage property and there was an elderly elderly lady selling it her her um brother had just been diagnosed with cancer and she couldn't look after the property anymore her husband had passed away yeah she didn't even live there actually she she um lived in elsewhere and there was a lot of rubbish on the property. And so as part of the negotiation, we actually said, leave it as is, we'll clean it up. So rather than her have to clear out, get hire a skip in and hire and engage people to to clean up the mess, we just said, you leave it. We, we use that to our advantage to negotiate a better deal. I love it. And that's where asking the right questions to understand what the ven- what's really important to the vendor and that that sense is is really key, and you know similar situations where the, the vendor might be trying to buy another place, and if you can release the the positive early to enable them to do that, then that might suddenly put your uh, offer uh, in front of others who are just focusing on the price piece. So uh, I think you've shared uh, something that's important there: that negotiation is not just about price; it's about all the other factors that are going to be important to creating a win-win outcome. So love that, uh, Michael. We've talked a lot about timing uh, both today and and in our chat uh, on last week's episode. Uh, 
and you've written a really good blog on this on on your website, which I encourage everyone to have a read of. Uh, can you give us a bit of a, a a bit of a summary of how can we solve the perfect timing puzzle to unlock the right time to purchase a property? Yeah, so for me, it, it's very much about time in the market, not trying to time the market. So or timing the market, um, as we as I shared in um, in last week's podcast on my my own personal journey. The first property I purchased was in a in a very hot rising Sydney market. Um, the next one I purchased was in a in a softer market, and it was about just getting in. At the end of the day, if I was trying to wait um for uh for the perfect time there's never a perfect time and i'd still be waiting so um i don't think there really is a a perfect time to buy it's just buy when you can afford to when you've got access to the to the finance or to the capital because that's another thing which i've really seen in the last 12 to 18 months a lot of people's borrowing capacity slashed with rising interest rates which in turn the the property market even if it had um shifted downward in price didn't shift down as much as people's borrowing capacity so where they could only where they could buy a four bedroom house in a suburb they can now only get a three so they've got to um yeah maybe compromise on some things so yeah that's um timing don't try and time the market just buy when you can yeah 100 agree exactly with what you've uh what you've shared there. Uh, now, uh, in terms of your own buyers agency, uh, the Central Coast Buyers Agency, uh, what's your approach to handling competing or overlapping client breaks where you've got two people looking for the same thing at the t- same time? I've often wondered how a buyers agent is going to disseminate which one gets the, the property that comes along first. How, how do you deal with that? Yeah, so with with my buyers agency, I've, I've the way I've structured it, I only work with a few clients at a time. Um, it is just me and the business, and, and I intend to keep it that way so that all of my clients get direct access to me. Um, and the way I deal with that scenario is basically I'm just very open and honest in my communication. And if I am working with a particular client and I start talking to somebody else that has the same brief, I just have to I just tell them that they have to wait. Yeah. Yeah, great. So don't, don't take on two competing briefs. Love it. Love that. That that's uh, again that honesty that comes through. But what happens in the situation where you're you're working with a uh, a property uh, purchaser uh, and you can't source or secure a high quality property that's going to satisfy their brief in a reasonable time frame? Uh, but what's your approach to that one? Well, first, firstly, I try really hard to um, understand what their brief is as best as I can before they actually engage so that I can understand whether we're actually a good fit to work together um, and whether or not I can actually achieve the, their brief. Um, you know, if I've had to turn people away when they when they want the Ferrari for the Holden budget. Um, you know, I have to just say, look, I can't actually hit that brief. I'm only going to, if I say yes and say, yep, let's, let's do it. I'm only going to set myself up for failure and you up for disappointment. So, um, yeah, trying really hard at the start to make sure that the brief is, is achievable. Um, the timeframe piece, I don't ever push someone to buy a property, um, just so I can buy it quickly and, and keep my buying timeframes down. At the end of the day, they need to feel comfortable and confident that that is the right property for them. I'll give them the data um, and information 
around, is to say it's an investment, I'll give them the data around why I think that's a good property for their strategy. Or if it's a um, owner-occupier, they really need to walk through that property and feel it. If they don't feel it, we keep looking. And um, so time frame is really dependent on them. If they need to buy quickly, I'll move quickly. Otherwise, um, I, I, I really try and make make sure we take the time to find the right property rather than just buy the first one we look at. Yeah, extremely well well said. If we if we look at the end to end process in relation to the whole property buying uh, piece, uh, are there any other key elements of of uh, that process that that you approach a little bit differently uh, to what you see others doing? Um, yeah, definitely. I don't know so much about comparing to others, but with the, my approach, is very proactive in the search phase of the the journey um once i've got a client brief that i'm working with i'm very proactive in finding that property um or hunting that property down rather than just sort of waiting for it to pop up on real estate and domain.com because if that was the case they can do it themselves yeah. um so i rather I, I really try and be very proactive in that search um and then once we've found the property it's guiding them through the process to, to successfully acquiring the property, understanding what needs to be done, when it needs to be done, so that everything's really smooth and seamless and um, it's an enjoyable process for everyone then. Yeah. Yeah, no, and that communication piece is is really key. Uh, you know, little things uh, like if a, if a really good quality probably comes along that, that is going to be popular and it's likely to disappear quickly, uh, how do you... Uh, motivate and inspire a, a client and a potential buyer to to move and, and not miss out on the opportunity? Um, look, I definitely let them know. Um, you know, I can share other client stories of where they've missed out or, or things like that. And um, I can show them days on market for particular properties, things like that. But like I said, I don't push someone to buy a property. If they, sometimes they have to feel the pain and I have to go through that with them. Um, you know, a lot of people did feel that, especially during the, you know, 2021 market when um, it was just, you know, very, very competitive. Yep. Um, I can I can move quickly, but if the client doesn't come along and and, and hesitates, then um, I, I'm not a pushy person. So if they, yeah. they need to learn that lesson, then I'll, I'll learn it. I'll just be there with them um, yeah. and feel that pain with them. Yeah, no, extremely well said. Uh, so sort of bringing this all together, what's the profile of property buyers and investors who are and also aren't the best fit to work with you and Central Coast Buyers Agents? Um, yeah, so from a from an investment perspective, um, it's definitely I'm, I'm limited to who I can work with, mainly from a um, budget or a price point perspective. So, um, you know, people approach me, investment property for four or five hundred thousand i just can't um can't get properties at that price on the central coast not for the the type of property i i think is good um like yeah you can buy units and townhouses and things like that but it's not really my strategy for an investment and i'd much rather see someone go a little bit further afield or interstate or somewhere else that um if it's in their price point but they can buy much better quality property yeah um so yeah, definitely that's that's um, and and so really it's uh, someone probably looking for a bit more cash uh, growth, capital growth, 
Um, you can achieve cash flow, like like I said, with my strategy of um, that dual income piece. So you can you can get a bit of both, capital growth and cash flow. Um, but yeah, mainly the investor profile is someone that's looking for good good capital growth. Um, there's a lot of new properties being developed and land releases, so there's uh, good depreciation benefits if people are interested in that as well. Yep. Um, but it's probably sitting between that minimum six, ideally seven hundred to a million as a as a purchase price for an investor. Yep. That's probably yep. the ideal price point to yep. purchase a, a really good quality property uh, with good growth prospects for the owner occupier um, or holiday home buyer. It's really down to their personal preference where where they want to be. They need to, you know, if they know they want to be on the central coast, then um, yeah, I can help them find a, a good property in a good location that ticks their boxes. Um, price point is yeah similar, similar. It could be yeah six seven hundred thousand upwards into the millions, but um, yeah, it's really around whatever they they desire. But they need to know they want to be on the central coast. <laughs> so yes, yeah. Yeah, and let's face it, it's a beautiful part of the world. And again, I think you make a very good point that the whole uh, price points have shifted substantially post pandemic. Uh, you mentioned the sort of you know, 600 or mil, mil mark. Uh, I'm seeing that pretty much across the board with, with uh, investor clients that are, are looking at properties in different states. Very difficult now to get a growth property for uh, much less than those levels. Uh, that those those days are pretty much long gone now. And while you might be able to get cheaper properties, they're not going to have those growth drivers that we uh, spoke about earlier, which is ultimately really what we're doing to invest in property to grow the nest egg and then converting it to cash flow at the the other end of the journey. So, uh, love you, Sarah. There. So, uh, given you're as uh, active in in property and have a passion for it as I do, you. Uh, What's your read uh, on property conditions in the medium term and and where and what do you think are the best best investment opportunities, particularly for growth investors uh, uh, in your area and beyond? Uh, yeah, so crystal ball again, great question. But, um, <laughs> yeah, look, I think there's looking at a few of the, the key indicators, there's, there's I think we're set for another period of growth again. Um just simply there is not enough supply and there is continued demand. Um, rental vacancies are um, shrinking again and, and yields are starting to push up. So I'm seeing a lot more interest from investors, um, yeah. whereas the last sort of six to 12 months that that interest has, has been a bit quieter um, yeah. just due to a number of factors, you know, rising interest rates, uh, changes in policies around uh, government policies and things like that, <clears throat> which are uh investors are not liking so there's been a bit of a pullback but that's starting to, to come back again um areas well look obviously i'm very biased and, and only focus on the central coast but um yeah there, there's definitely suburbs within the coast that'll have better growth um than some others and so it's knowing which which ones they, they are and why um and that's something i share with my clients yeah, and no, I love that. Uh, look, um, really love the the wisdom you've shared with us on on that whole area. That there's a, a growing interest in the buyers agents profession, given that a lot of people are time poor now, and and people are much more prepared to be borderless in their approach than they ever used to be because of the fact that we're much more technology enabled now. Uh, so yeah, certainly for anyone who has an interest in the the central coast. 
uh, it would be well worth them having a chat with you, uh, Michael. And uh, now I want to switch into the round two of the the ambush uh, fast four series, uh, where I give you the blindfold and the cigarette, and I ask some quick quick questions. So to, to kick that one off, uh, what's your favourite quote and why? A quitter never wins, and a winner never quits. And uh, that was um, <clears throat> I first read that in the book um, Think and Grow Rich. And uh, that's a that's an awesome book, um, but yeah, that that for me very much uh, sort of resonates with with my my goals, my strategy to achieving my my uh, ideal lifestyle. And basically, there was just nothing that was going to stop me, yeah. and I did whatever it took to to um, yeah achieve. Yeah, I've got. But, uh, well, your your uh, life today's uh, a living example of that. Uh, now, uh, I want to return to the literary field for me. You've mentioned a couple of books, the Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and, and uh, uh, the one um, that you just mentioned there. Apart from those two, what's the top book that you'd recommend we read and why? Yeah, so um, yeah, so definitely Rich Dad, Poor Dad would be my number one. Um, and uh, Think and Grow Rich, I think it's not uh, sort of purely focused on property. It's really that Think and Grow Rich is more around any any goal you have in your life that you want to achieve or obtain. Um, the other one I'd mention is um, The Richest Man in Babylon. Yeah. It's um, it's a book that um, I read probably around 24, 25. And so this was after I bought bought my first property and I'd done the, um, you know, the subdivision by then. And, and I was starting, I was trying to, to work out why I wasn't saving money. I was just I was dumping all the money into the property and just focus purely on that. But I was like, what am I, what have I done differently from when I before I purchased it to to now that I own it? What was it? What have I stopped doing? There, there was something I'd done and I wasn't saving money like I was before. Yep. Um and then I read that book and that book basically the principle is you need to pay yourself first. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a, a really good book, and and you know, pick a percentage, ten percent, five percent, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah. it is that you can yeah. afford based on your other expenses. But you need to put some money aside for yourself, and that money needs to go to investing, whatever it is you want to invest in. Yeah, it's a a, a great read and a, a reasonably small book, but a, a, again, very timeless in its in its uh, approach. So well worth having a read of that one. Uh, next question. Uh, uh, is one that you know a, a lot of Aussies uh, hate to pay tax. So, uh, uh, what's the the best tax saving uh, uh, tip that you can share with us, and and what you've done to minimise the tax you pay? I suppose the best the best tax saving tip is make less money. <laughs> um, I think you know it's inevitable. We all know that, you know there's no. Two are things more sure in life than uh, death and taxes. Um, you know, of course, I, I um, try to minimise tax where I can legally, and, and and you know that's where I engage my accountant to and, and leverage his expertise and knowledge to to do that. But um, there's a little bit of a bugbear when I when I talk to to young young people and and they say they've they've gone and bought a car because they're trying to. You know, save on tax, uh, reduce their reduce their taxable income, and to me that that's not an investment. It's not a great idea. And and I look at it and I say, well, you've spent a dollar to get thirty cents back when you could have just kept the dollar. Yeah. And yeah. So for me, it's like I, 
I don't necessarily do things to to pay less tax. At the end of the day, if you're making more money, you're going to pay tax. You try and minimise it where you can, but that's uh, that's my view. Well, I think paying tax is an action indicator you're doing all right. Uh, you should take yeah. it as a positive in that sense. And I, I know my accountant says to me, look, if you want to pay less tax, I can just bill you more. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> which is another I know how to do yep. <laughs> Yeah, well, last question in the, in the series, Michael, uh, what's a, a personal happy habit or a daily discipline that you employ that you think has contributed most to your investment success today? Uh, definitely the, the small consistent efforts or um, what we what we call it in sport, the, the one percenters. Yeah. Uh, it's just doing those those little things that, yeah, they're, they're, they're effort. They might not seem like it's um, a big, you know, making a big difference, but when you, you look at it on the overall, uh, 101% actions add up to 100%. So it's just doing that small, consistent efforts. And, it, you know, back to that um, the scenario I gave with the compounding, you just do those small things Little efforts, little efforts, and it really adds up to something great at the end. So that's yeah. uh, probably been my my little happy habit or, or something that I've always tried to do. Yeah, I love that. Uh, now, uh, if, if we look back on on our chat today and and last week, uh, what's a question you wish I'd ask you, and and how would you have answered? Uh, probably, um, you, a question you you sent me was something around mentors and and who have been the best mentors in my life. So I'd probably take a, a bit of an opportunity to give a shout out to a couple. Um, the first one was, um, his name was David. He was the one I spoke to. Uh, he was a valuer. Uh, he was a father of a girl I went to school with. I spoke to him when I was looking to purchase my first property and he he sort of gave me some advice around different locations that he thought were had good growth potential. So he definitely was a, a big um you know, definitely set me up for where I've ended up. Yeah. Um, uh, um, the mortgage broker that I engaged, he was um, a family friend and he uh, of my dad's. And when I purchased my first property and I, I was had a budget of 500 and I was thinking, should I try and, you know, maybe spend a bit, little bit less and not not stretch myself too much or I was a bit, bit uncomfortable with going all out and, um you know, he, he used some some other language, but basically he told me to stretch myself. <laughs> I won't I won't say exactly what he said, but um, you know that. And and he's and he's done it on, on more than one occasion. Uh, it, basically, the the second time I went to purchase a property, um, it was a quite a market, and I was really negotiating it quite hard. And he, he said to me, he said, "How are you going with that that purchase? Have you bought that property yet?" I said, "Oh no, they haven't they haven't accepted the deal I've, I've put on the table." And and he turned around and said, "If you don't buy it, I will." So, um, so basically, he, you know, in a, a couple of occasions, and I'll never forget those moments. But he, he really pushed me to, to take action when, um, when I was fearful or mucking around or whatever else. But he, yeah. So that, um, no two people, but definitely um, my biggest mentor was my dad, and I, I was, you know, um, oh, a lot to him, a lot of a lot of um, who I am, uh, and and. The way I treat people and the way I think is definitely down to him. So big shout out to my dad, Joe, and I better give mum a shout out to her. I'll get in trouble. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, lo- love the family connection, mate. Like you, I was born in, I was blessed in the family I was born into, and, and sadly, both my parents are now passed away. But the the legacy they've given me and the head start they give me, and just in the way I approach life, uh, 
you know, I, I, I definitely wouldn't be doing what I'm doing if it wasn't for the the guidance and and support that they they gave me over over many years, mate. So, uh, uh, respect your appreciation for your family there, mate. Uh, now that sort of brings us to uh, bring this all together. If you were to sort of summarise uh, our conversation today and and last week, what are your key takeaways and, and immediate actions that aspiring investors and property buyers need to take? Yeah, so so our conversation I think has been really focused around um, acting, taking action, and early. Um, I know my journey. I, I tried to act as quickly as I could, and and early in my life, that's um, really set me up to be where I am. Um, but also just investing in in yourself, um, arming yourself with as much knowledge uh, as possible, and um, giving yourself the confidence to to actually take the action. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's uh, beautifully said. Uh, just to, to close it out then, if I ask you to get invested, what does that mean to you? Yeah, look, it's a, it is very much a holistic thing. Um, as much as property and uh, has been a vehicle for me, um, really was getting invested in all aspects of my life uh, in terms of health, education, knowledge, uh, all those types of things. Um, you, you need to put the you need to invest the time and the energy into those things and sometimes the money so that you can uh, achieve whatever it is that you're looking to achieve. Yeah, beautifully said. Uh, thanks, Michael. And for those that are like myself who are listening in or, or watching us uh, today and have really resonated with your messages, uh, how can we find out more and get more involved with you? Um, yeah, they can... Find my de- contact details on the website or just email me directly at michael at centralcoastba.com.au or they can just give me a call 0422-527-966. Beautifully done. We'll make sure we've got uh, all of that in the show notes. Uh, and I want to thank you again for the very, very generous time you've taken to share all of your wealth and wisdom with us over the last two episodes, Michael. And uh, to keep the conversation going, I want to encourage everyone just to join and jump into our Property Hub Collective interactive Facebook community uh, by clicking on the link in the show notes and do that now uh, because you're going to have an opportunity uh, for Michael to answer any of your personal questions or queries and to continue to share his knowledge with you and other like-minded hardworking Aussies in a very safe learning and no-sales environment. So again, uh, thanks for all your time, Michael, and uh, let's keep the conversation going. Thanks, Bushy. I've enjoyed speaking with you and and your listeners. So thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, your home for property investment insights and inspiration. And don't leave yet until you've taken the next step towards living by design. By getting my award-winning book, Get Invested, absolutely free when you sign up at knowhowproperty.com.au or bushymartin.com.au. And finally, Make sure you subscribe to Property Hub to get your weekly dose of Get Invested inspiration along with every episode of Realty Talk, Australia's leading property show for red-hot property investing news and insights direct from industry leaders and influencers. Remember to always get invested in your knowledge and I look forward to seeing you next time.